it's not an election year, and yet if you're watching much television lately, you may have seen something that most of us hoped would go away for a while. Colorado is more than a state. It's a state of mind. Here, we each do things our own way. And yet, state politicians want to create a one-size-fits-all government health insurance system called the state government option. It Dramatic, right? The, the synthesizers, the music, and a little unusual, actually, that a single state bill among all the hundreds that lawmakers are considering right now has attracted a seven-figure opposition ad campaign. Yeah, definitely. And yet, here we are with the public option, maybe one of the biggest bills of this session. And that's what we're talking about on this episode of Purplish, the intense debate about how big of a role state government should play in healthcare. From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny here with my colleague Benta Berglund. Hey, and we're recording this on the morning of Thursday, April 15th. And we've set ourselves a good challenge today. We have a topic that I find personally amazingly interesting, something that has potentially really profound consequences. It also happens to be pretty complicated. Yes, I think that's putting it mildly. To that end, we should probably start with just what is a public option. Democrats' big proposal to lower health care costs in Colorado, but what actually is it? Do you want a little history lesson? Sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's an idea that uh, really came into the public consciousness in the U.S. when the Affordable Care Act was being debated under President Obama's first term. And back then, it was really the idea that the federal government would start acting kind of like an insurance company and offering insurance policies for the general public. Think of it as like a much more broadly available version of Medicare or Medicaid. Obviously, that didn't happen at the time. It was a big debate. Didn't end up being part of Obamacare, but it's kind of floated around. How do you think the fact that it didn't happen then is informing the discussion right now? That's a really good question, because what happened coming out of the ACA's passage was that that law really helped people understand how health care costs differed in different parts of Colorado. And especially it showed that in these mountainous regions, resort communities and some of the rural areas, that costs were much higher for health insurance. And according to one expert I spoke to, Joe Hanel at the Colorado Health Institute, that new knowledge of that disparity helped create a new appetite in the state legislature for taking on health care costs, which they've done in a couple of different ways over the years. Governor Jared Polis has talked about this a lot on the campaign trail, in speeches. Here's his first state of the state address. You know, our of course, our ultimate objective is to work together to bring universal, high quality, affordable health care to every family in Colorado. But the work that we do has to begin with reducing costs and saving people money. And we will work together in this legislative legislative session to do so. And this was in 2020. Uh, it's really simple market economics. When you have more choices as a consumer, companies have to compete for your business, which means lower prices. Uh, we estimate that the public option will save Coloradans an additional 9 to 18 percent on their individual premiums. And, and this was his most recent speech earlier this year. And we also look forward to adding an affordable Colorado option that gives Coloradans, especially in rural areas, more choice and savings when it comes to selecting a health So clearly plan. we've got polis and Democrats interested in health care costs. Why do you think the public option is the solution they've gotten behind? I see a couple factors. I think the public options kind of lingered in people's minds. Maybe it's a regret, the one that got away during the Affordable Care Act. And I should back up here to say the Colorado public option would be 
the state trying to do this at a state level, opening Mm -hmm. up a state insurance plan, basically. Mm -hmm. From what I've heard from experts, though, it tackles two of the most common problems or two challenges. It gives government more sway over what coverage is offered. It gives them more power to dictate what benefits should be and what deductibles should be. And then the way it's being set up in Colorado and in the other state that's tried it is it gives more control to the government over what hospitals can charge. It allows the state to really dictate a lot more of hospital costs. And that's obviously a huge factor in overall healthcare costs. So if the backers got their way in this past, it became law. What are they hoping would be different for the average person in Colorado? And would most people be able to be part of this option? That's a really good question. So the bill that's on the table right now applies to the individual market and small groups. So basically people who are buying insurance on the exchange on their own and, and, you know, some small businesses as well. Is that a lot of people? That's less than 10% of the population by a long shot. So, you know, uh, (laughs) depends on how you define a lot. It's an important segment of the market because costs can get really high if you're responsible for buying your own insurance Mm -hmm. and you don't have an employer bankrolling you on that. The bill as written would say, hey, health insurance industry, we're going to give you a chance to do this on your own. We want you to lower average insurance costs in each county by 20% over the next few years. And if you don't do that in 2025, Colorado spins up basically a state-run government insurance option. Hmm. Kind of the carrot and the stick? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Possibly more more stick than carrot, depending on who you ask. And, you know, with that, again, the, the state would be putting in more controls on you know, basically forcing hospitals and healthcare providers to accept this government plan and forcing them to accept lower or limited payments for their various services. So big change. Hmm. According to Joe Hannell, the guy at the Colorado Health Institute, that could prove really popular if they end up doing that. That plan would probably fairly quickly come to dominate the individual market. In- private insurance companies would might not be competitive against it. It would pay lower prices to hospitals and almost certainly have lower administrative costs than private companies do and probably offer a lot lower prices and people would buy it. So, Andy, if this came to be that the insurance industry could not compete with these plans, they're not going to be happy with it. We've seen the hospitals are are not happy with this bill. It's very contentious. Yeah, it's been really a roller coaster. Like we mentioned earlier, industry groups are really coming out strong, advertising against it. I just got a mailer yesterday about this. And what are they saying is their main arguments? I'm hearing, you know, hospitals could be put out of business. Healthcare professionals could lose their jobs. They're painting this very dire picture if this comes to be. Yeah, that's right. And we got a good example of that at the 10-hour committee hearing uh, that they recently had where a lot of health industry people, just a a parade of doctors and executives came out. And like you're saying, they're arguing that it's going to cut into revenues, that it's really going to hurt the most vulnerable hospitals, the safety net hospitals, the rural hospitals, and also that it's coming at a time when hospitals are really off balance. Here's how uh, Dean Sanpei, he's a senior vice president at Centura Health, described it. What HB 1232 and coronavirus have in common is the uncertainty it is creating for our caregivers and, by extension, fear. This bill is causing us to be afraid we won't have the supplies we need to care for our patients. We are afraid we won't have the beds we need. 
We are afraid we won't have the meds we need. Think of sending the firefighter into the burning building with him worried about if he'll run out of water while in the building. But, you know, on the other hand, we've also heard from people who say they badly need help with their insurance costs. I spoke to Rachel Beckover. She's a landscape designer who splits time between Denver and and, uh, the Western Slope. And she said she's spending $14,000 per year on medical bills because of her diabetes. I try not to bring too much into this about my feelings about the insurance company, but they just continue to see increased profits while my costs continue to go up. And I just don't think it's right. And I think that government has to do something about that. It's kind of like for and against this, the pandemic can play a role in kind of making your case. There was a similar bill introduced last session, and I wondered if it was going to come back just because of the pandemic and all the stress hospitals have been under. Clearly, a lot of negotiating going on behind the scenes here. The sponsors are trying to get the hospitals in support of this legislation or at least neutral. Andy, what are the big sticking points? And I know it's very complicated, but can you boil it down to the top few things they're working on? Yeah, Benta, what's really interesting is that despite the really strong objections you're hearing from the health industry and how far apart these parties seem, they actually are negotiating on it. And the sponsors say, and the hospital association said, they may actually be able to reach a deal where the hospital association becomes neutral or supportive of it. Hmm. The big sticking points are, first of all, how much does this cut into hospital profits? How do they set those payment rates of how much hospitals can receive? And then there's an even bigger question of who actually runs the Colorado option. In the bill as it's written, it would be basically the government. But in a compromise that they've been talking about, maybe private insurance plans would be allowed to operate and sell the so-called public option. It'd be more of a public-private option. You know, the government designs it, but the private insurance companies sell it and operate it. I talked to a couple Democratic lawmakers who said that they think if the hospitals become neutral, that it will definitely make it easier to pass this through the House, even though Democrats have a pretty wide majority. Yeah. You know, this is a tough vote, given Mm -hmm. the difficult year healthcare providers have had in hospitals and the role they've played in the pandemic. And especially newer lawmakers and these dire arguments from the hospital association and and people are really concerned about what are the impacts of this. And if they vote this way, could it have, you know, bad ramifications in their districts or for their constituents? Yeah, people really care about their healthcare, obviously. And I think that if Democrats have a way that they don't have to go this alone and be solely responsible for this bill, if they can get some industry support, that would make them a lot more comfortable. And then in the Senate, there's there's a narrower margin there. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a tougher vote. Well, and then what about Republicans? So even if hospitals do become neutral or eventually support this legislation, that doesn't mean Republican lawmakers are necessarily going to come on board. And we're, we're yeah. seeing strong, strong opposition. Mm-hmm. And I think this can be highlighted during the committee hearing, which was like 10 hours long. Yep. House Minority Leader Hugh McKean actually sat in that committee for that hearing. He swapped out with one of the committee members so he could be there. Typically, legislative leaders, they don't serve on committees. They're juggling a lot of other things, and that takes up a lot of time. But he really wanted to be there. He said he believes this is the first step, if this passes, to single-payer socialized medicine. Hmm. That's a pretty strong statement, and I think a lot of other Republicans think that too. Yeah, that's a pretty fundamental change. And I would say that McKean also, in in a letter he released publicly, threatened to 
grind the work of the House to a halt, hmm. potentially. And, you know, Republicans do have some tools to do that. As session continues and the timeline gets crunched, there are ways to slow things down, depending upon how this goes. One more point here that I think is going to come up a lot in the rest of this debate is that there is one other state, like we mentioned, it's Washington, who's done a very similar public option style plan that like Colorado is now talking about offered by private insurance companies designed by the government. And it had kind of an unexpected result in the first year. The plans that were being sold as the public option plans were actually more expensive than the private market plans in the same tier. Not the result they were going for. It wasn't. But I talked to some experts about this and they, they said that, well, this is the first year it's been on the market. Just like the ACA, it could take some time to settle out. And that also, you know, you can't always just compare premiums. Those plans that they introduced included some different benefits that you wouldn't be able to get, like a, a much lower deductible. To me, it just shows, <laughs> highlights even more how complex this is. Yeah. And you, you're tweaking things and you can't predict or yeah. you don't always predict what's going to happen. Because clearly, right. if you're passing a bill to lower costs and they go up, that's... That's yeah. not what you want to do. You're trying to shape a market that is very, very complicated and has a lot of players in it and matters a lot. Well, you know, we like to wrap up most of our episodes with a, a moment that made us stop and say, wait, wait, wait what? what? <laughs> and I think, Benta, you've got ours for today, right? I do. Yes. So I've been paying attention to the state budget moving through the legislature. It's the one thing lawmakers are constitutionally required to do, yep. and that is to pass a balanced budget. It passed the Senate almost unanimously, and that doesn't always happen. Unanimously? Almost. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> Here's Republican Senator Paul Lundeen. I generally, almost completely, agree with this budget. So did wow. you get that? He generally, almost, almost completely. completely agrees. Then he decided to vote no, and he prefaced his no vote as head-spinning, even for himself. But because the voice of dissent, the voice of conversation, must remain vibrant, I will choose to vote no on this budget. He was the lone no vote in the Senate, and there's a <laughs> conservative lawmaker, Jerry Sonnenberg, and people were joking, let's get this vote done with quickly before Jerry Sonnenberg switches his vote to no. <laughs> so, I mean, Lundin basically said he really did like the budget. He thought it was a good budget. Lawmakers restored a lot of cuts. And what's another wait what moment is in the House, the budget passed, and Hugh McKean, the minority leader, was the only Republican who supported it. So it was almost the opposite of unanimous in the House. Basically, yeah. In the Senate, you've got one Republican who votes oh. no, who thinks it's a great budget, and then the House, no one backs it. So, uh, you know, I, I don't wow. know. Well, we can do another episode on that. We can dig into the budget later, but I think that support in the Senate might go to show that the recovery has treated the state government a lot better than people expected, and they're a little bit flush with that stimulus money right now. So maybe that makes the budget easier to agree on when you've got a bunch of extra money. Different problems, but yeah, easier to spend than cut. More money, less problems. <laughs> Uh, that should do it for this week's episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Andrew Kenny with my colleague, Benta Berkland. Find me on Twitter at AndyKNNY. I'm at Benta Berkland. This is Purplish from CPR News. I'm just glad that's over with because I think, no, 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 no.